This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Sustainable-ish podcast. How are you doing? Thank you so much for all the lovely comments on last week's COP26 roundup from the very brilliant Laura Young, who I think all of us just love, don't we? She's absolutely wonderful. And I really do love hearing when the podcast has helped to demystify something. So please do tag me if you find some useful nuggets in the podcast whenever you listen. And another thank you to all of those of you who have tagged me in your Spotify playlist roundy uppy year things <laughs> that they seem to be putting out at the moment. It's really fab to see Sustainable-ish up there on your faves. Right then, on with today's episode. Now, I talk a lot in general <laughs> on this podcast, but specifically about changes that we can make as individuals and as households but I possibly don't talk enough about the other spheres of influence we have where we can create change. Businesses and governments have big roles to play as well, but most of us are perhaps unlikely to have the ear of our MP or the Prime Minister, but the majority of us will have some kind of connection with businesses, whether we work for them, whether we run them, or whether we simply buy from them. Earlier on this year, Boris called on small and medium businesses to lead the charge. That's typical kind of Boris bluster there, isn't it? Lead the charge in the race to net zero, which I remember thinking at the time kind of felt a little unfair because I would imagine that most small business owners want to do the right thing and make their businesses more sustainable, but they're probably up to their eyeballs in running their small business And anyway, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of easily accessible information out there about quite what they can do. So that's why it is absolutely brilliant to be able to chat to April Sotomayor from Investors in the Environment in this episode for some really down-to-earth and practical advice for anyone wanting to start to work on their business footprint. Now, I'm taking a wild guess here that most people listening probably aren't CEOs of businesses and are statistically much more likely to be employees. But please do remember the power that you have as an employee, as part of the business, to be asking questions and really encouraging and empowering that positive change. This is a huge sphere of influence that many of us have that we often forget about and is actually somewhere where we might even see a bigger impact than with our individual changes. So listen in, check out some of the links in the show notes, and then have a little think about where your power lies in the business that you work in. And if you feel like you don't have any, then who does? And how might you be able to start a conversation with them? Do let me know how you get on. Enjoy this episode and I will catch you next time. Take care. Hi, April. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. Um, you were saying just before we hit record that you're, you've got a horrible sore throat. So thank you so much for coming on. But just to explain, to, if you're sounding a bit croaky, that's, <laughs> that's why. Can you introduce yourself to us? Sure. Um, I'm April Sotomayor. I'm the lead for Investors in the Environment, which is the UK um, environmental accreditation scheme for businesses of, of any size. Brilliant. So What's your background? How did you get into this? Are you a, you know, environmental scientist by trade or how did you get into all this? I started out uh, in the environmental sector as a, a biologist looking at water quality issues and 
awareness around uh, biodiversity and conservation and pollution mm. control. And through some of the things that I was seeing in the field and looking at um, certain pollution incidents, um, I really wanted to pursue a career in which I could influence policy uh, kind of at the source, sort mm. of in terms of pollution prevention. And that led me to pursue a degree in environmental management oh, wow. uh, and environmental management systems as a way um, to engage organizations in specific solutions mm. to prevent those things from happening. And how long have you been at Investors in the Environment? Um, I've been leading IIE for the last five years. Wow, you're the head honcho there. You're in charge. Oh, <laughs> it's a team. It's a team effort. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about Investors in the Environment, because a lot of people might have heard of I don't know how popular it is now, but I know for for a while, kind of, was it Investors in People was a, a very sort of popular scheme that lots of businesses signed up for and and things. And was Investors Environment sort of, uh, did it start off on the back of that or how did it, how did it all come about? So um, Investors in the Environment was started by, we're actually a charity, we're part of environmental charity PECT. Um, so we run a number of different projects and one of them is through engagement with businesses. So about 20 years ago, um, the organization had a number of different projects to engage businesses. Some were funded on embedding environmental management systems into their practices with a real focus on high impact industries like manufacturing mm. or construction, in particular focusing on uh, SMEs or small and medium sized businesses because they were quite underserved in terms of access to good basic knowledge mm. and awareness and also having tools that were affordable for them to use and implement. Mm. So um, we had a few different iterations before it became Investors in the Environment about 11 years ago. And then from there, it's really formed uh, quite a rigorous structure around enabling people to embed sustainability, um, sort of meet them where they mm. are, wherever that is, if they've not done anything, or maybe they're doing loads, and then put them on a pathway to continually improving. Okay. So I wanted to, to to get you on because, you know, I think it's, it's important that we, you know, approach this from as many different angles as we can. And obviously I talk a lot, um, you know, to my audience about individual actions and things, but actually we're all probably, you know, have a job or even if we're self-employed, then maybe we've got our own business or, you know, whatever, or we've got a partner who's employed and all those kinds of things. But I think it was, um, I was having a quick look around on the internet and in May this year, Boris or the government or somebody said, you know, oh, come on, small businesses need to be leading this charge, I think was the phrasing um, towards net zero. And I kind of felt a bit like, God, I mean, I am a small business owner, but I'm just a little little me, little sole trader. But I can imagine people, um, you know, with with bigger small businesses thinking, what, what, why is this on me? Hold on a minute. And I don't even know where to start. Like what, mm. what, oh my goodness me. And what does net zero even mean? And all that kind of thing. So what is the, I don't know if you have these kind of stats, if they exist, the impact of sort of, you referred to SMEs, so small and medium businesses um, on the UK's carbon footprint. Do you have that kind of data or am I putting you on the spot here? Well, in terms of carbon footprint, I think the data are not mm -hmm. readily available for SMEs, um, certain sectors, there's some data, but it is a real opportunity because SMEs are a huge proportion of UK businesses. I think they employ about 60% of those in oh, employment wow. in the UK. It's uh, about 99% of businesses sort of numerically oh, really? in the UK. Yeah. So what, what qualifies huge. as a small or medium business? Because it's bigger than we might think, isn't it? Yeah, so um, quite a lot. I think about 22% are actually sole traders okay. or know dual mm. partnerships so that's a fair few um but typically how we look at it is you know generally if you're less than 250 staff you have a certain amount of turnover that kind of qualifies you as a, a small and medium-sized oh, business wow. and there's different uh, ways that you might quantify that in terms of access to certain grants mm. or, or things like that uh, but in general it's uh, you know less than 250 staff and quite a lot of our focus is on trying to engage those around the 50 staff mark okay. uh, that tend to have fewer some have it's a whole range in terms of impact mm. depending on what sector they're in but again because there are so many within that category and they're not necessarily engaged mm. the real important focus for us in terms of the impact that we can have on, on leveraging change yeah so somebody might be listening to this as a small business owner or someone who is employed by a small business and thinking, well, why the hell is it on us? Surely it should be 
Amazon, Coca-Cola, you know, BP, all those, you know, the, the, the kind of big, you know, Tesco, Sainsbury's, all those things. Why, why, are, why, is the, why is the finger being pointed at us? Surely those guys need to be leading the charge and would have a bigger impact. Mm. I can only guess because there's such a huge uh, proportion mm. of businesses that are small. Um, in terms of leading the way, I mean, it, it's an opportunity. But when I think about when I think about small businesses, to sort of if I start feeling a bit carried away in terms of oh, businesses should be doing mm. this or that, I remember my mom who had her own business. She, she was an actual small business owner. She had less than ten staff. She was a florist. Oh, wow. And I think about how busy mm. she used to be and how hard it was, and in certain times of the year, the, the challenges yes, that she faced. And um, just the hard work of being a small business mm. owner. And I think about if I was trying to sell these actions to my mom, mm. um, what would I tell her? What would I say? How would I enable her to make a difference mm. in what she was able to do? And I find that really grounding. Um, and I think that's, that's helpful to remember. You know, you need to listen to the business, what they are able to yeah. do and work with them on whatever they're able to start mm. with, which is why... I is so great for small businesses because it gets them on a pathway, even if they're sort of dipping a toe in yes. and doing one or two things at first, they start to build momentum. We've seen that in case after case after mm. case over the last 11 to 20 years, really, since we've been working with businesses, that getting started and being on a pathway and also using a framework so that you're able to build yes. in and pull in additional threads as you go on over time, you can have real impact and it, it makes them feel really proud and gives them a sense of accomplishment which is really important mm. because then they tell those stories and then they feel that pride and they influence others mm. as a result of what they started to achieve so you know being being cynical and and you know I I always you said you always think of your mum and I always think of the sort of the company that my my husband works for and and you know his his bosses this isn't really on their agenda I think they would possibly still be a bit kind of eye rolly at um you know that kind of thing so so what is the business case for for small businesses in terms of getting their house in order with climatey stuff I mean the world is really changing mm. there's a lot of there's lots of things that that you know you could say and in terms of future proofing yourself you know we've got new environment act uh we've got changes that will be coming in place from a legislative perspective so thinking about these issues is a, an important part of any kind of risk and opportunity assessment mm -hmm. when you're thinking about where your business is going in the future. But also thinking about, you know, the opportunity for you to, to cut your costs. Mm. You know, good environmental management principles go hand in hand with good business management. So resource efficiency, you know, consuming less, mm. wasting mm. less. Those are all things that if you look at them properly, uh, it will justify the time you spend in looking at them because you'll start to see reductions based on the fact you're reviewing your energy, mm. you're reviewing the ways, mm. you're looking at things that you're bringing into the business, how you use them, how they leave the business. Uh, and also the amount of time and, and human resource that, it, that is wasted when you're running inefficiently, uh, yes. environmentally speaking. But also there's, you know, the younger generations are very aware mm. and eco-conscious. And if you want to attract that talent to you you should be able to demonstrate that you know you're on board mm. with this it's shown to be a real attractor in terms of you know recruitment mm -hmm. and also retention so if you're doing things credibly as an organization and it's involving the whole mm. of the organization if you see that people are more likely to to stay with you than they are to leave and go elsewhere uh, to more purpose-driven organizations. And there's a lot of them popping up mm. and it's giving them a real market. Edge. Yeah. And I, I remember speaking when I was writing my first book and, and, you know, there's a section in there on sort of work and things and, and speaking to somebody at a law firm and her saying that, you know, actually when they're bidding for contracts now, a lot of the time, it's, it's kind of written into the, the tendering process that there has to be some, sort of certification or they have to have some kind of plan in place for their um for their climate plan and kind of on that point this this might all start getting a bit technical but I know that there are business certifications like ISO is that right there is like and I don't remember what the numbers are like five fifty thousand and one or five I'm going to get that completely wrong it's I, ISO 14,001 and, and it's yeah a lot of people can remember that <laughs> um so what is that and how does that differ from what you guys do really good question 
So ISO 14001 is the International Standard for Environmental Management Systems. Uh, it's an excellent standard. Um, it covers everything from you know, policy and resources and training and internal mm -hmm. competence and uh, life cycle assessment and a whole range. But it is uh, a bit of a beast to implement mm. uh, small businesses and it comes at a fair cost. When we first came up with the program, we were looking at ISO, how do we make this digestible and actionable mm. for small businesses that can't afford or don't need um, ISO 14001 certification? I think I would just look at page one of that and go, oh, can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, or what do they do if they ultimately do want to get to mm. that? You know, can we build them up to uh, okay. it? Can we support them on that? And so the answer is, is yes. But what we've found is actually there are so many businesses that aren't able to talk or they struggle anyway um, in talking about their environmental journey through accreditation in the mm. ISO standard. Um, so there's a lot of uh, focus around compliance. Well, there has been in the past around legal compliance mm. and you know, documentation, mm. you know, lots of control documents internal auditor right, wow all of that sort of thing which is great and really useful and can be quite impactful but if we've got six million businesses in the uk i think there's only i think aima has said that there's only eleven thousand that wow. are working towards the iso standard i mean it's not even one percent well then and then you think about like you said you think about your mom who's you know working all the hours and employing 10 people is she really going to take on this massive burden of kind of paperwork yeah, and regulation it's, and it's just yeah. not even a conversation so in terms of the tenders that you mentioned mm. that's another real big draw is that how do you you have big companies that are, or local authorities, those, the NHS, mm. that are looking at their procurement and how do they influence the sustainability of their supply mm. chain when one of their objective, it, you know, objectives is to have a social impact and look at, you know, local mm. employment, procuring from local mm. small mm. businesses to help the local economy. But they also want those small businesses to be doing their yes. bit. How do they influence it? So, you know, we're working with some local authorities to help them you know, adding IIE onto their list of registered um, or accepted mm. accreditations. And, and there's other ways that, that we're also looking at delivering that through um, local authorities as well mm. to try to, you know, put cohorts through the process to train them up, get them to understand what they need to mm. do and start actioning it as well. So um, accreditations aside, getting started with having that conversation and doing yes. something is one of the things that we really try to focus on. You know, don't get so caught up in data collection yes. for data collection's sake or producing lots of policies that nobody's going to ever read. What are you going to do mm. about the impacts? What are you going to do about the thing that you can actually influence today? Yeah, I think that's that's so important, isn't it? And because I think that, you know, if, if you're a small business owner and you start thinking, right, okay, we're going to do something about this. Oh God, like apparently I need to know my carbon footprint and how do I even start to think about that? And then somebody's talking about these scope things and different scopes and one, two, and three, and I don't understand it. So it's very easy to see why people might just go, oh, too hard. Whereas actually they could have started really easily. You know, there are lots of really nice, easy things that they could have, that, that, that you can do without even sort of diving in on, on that level. Um, do you sort of find that as well? That I, I really love that sort of, you know, it's action orientated, right? What can you actually do today? Yeah. That's so important, yeah. isn't it? Right. Sort of meeting them where they are and saying, do something. Mm. You know, we were talking to a business yesterday and they were absolutely spinning their wheels. They were so worried about they haven't collected this bit of data and they haven't done this. And I said, look, we can get there, but let's focus on what are you actually able to mm. influence this week yeah. or this month and focus on smaller sort of iterations, you know, what you can do now. And then those other bits will come. You can send that email about getting mm. the data. You can do that. But rather than feel paralyzed yes. by the fact that you don't know your carbon footprint yes, yet, yeah. you don't know what you should tackle, tackle some of the obvious environmental wins thing. or obvious yeah. environmental problems or ask people what they mm. think you should be doing. Start having those conversations. Definitely. So talking about some of that terminology, can you try, can you do your best to try and unpick some of that for us? So, um, so net zero, what, what is that? Because this, you know, this came up in this press release from the government in May, um, businesses should be heading towards net zero. I, and a lot of us will be like, mm, 
we've heard it a lot with COP as well, haven't we, net zero? Sure. So I'll try to put it as simply as I can. So um, an organization will have a carbon footprint, which is basically uh, an accounting for as many emissions as you can sort of track mm-hmm. in your direct and some indirect operations mm-hmm. that you have. So typically this is things like fuels that you consume or burn on site, your heating in your buildings, mm-hmm. the electricity that you're using, the mileage um, that you run mm. in your fleet or that staff claim, uh, claim back could be a, a number of other things but essentially it will give you an idea of what your carbon footprint is so when you think about net zero it's thinking about how do you actually neutralize those emissions mm-hmm. over a period of time reducing them you know following a hierarchy approach mm-hmm. in terms of you know eliminating whatever emissions you can by not emitting mm-hmm. them by being really efficient with resources or don't use certain types of fuels reducing uh, however much you use, substituting mm. it for something that's maybe less potent, uh, and then you know offsetting where you need to. But when you're on a net zero pathway, you look at sort of an end date, you look at setting certain annual targets that will help you get mm. there by that end date, whether it's 2030, 2040. Mm. We won't talk about 2050. No. <laughs> you want to do it as soon as possible, mm. but you want to be able to understand what you need to do year on year to bring those emissions as close to yeah. zero and for anything that you cannot avoid than looking at you know, certified offsets. Yeah, so it's kind of giving you some goals, isn't it? You know, if you think about, you know, like all businesses will have a, um, a, a cash forecast project, you know, it's all that kind of thing, isn't it? Well, we want to we want to be turning over this much, so we need to do X, Y, and Z. And it's kind of that, well, we want to be, we want to have halved our emissions by then. So these are the things we need to do. And then when we're talking about carbon footprints as well, and I don't want this to get too technical and put people off, but something that people might hear is this idea of, of scope, is there scope one, two, and three emissions? Can mm-hmm. you explain them without making us want to cry? Okay. Um, yeah, so scope one emissions are like fuels that you burn directly mm-hmm. in your buildings or on your site. So those are things like your heating, natural gas, boiler, for example, yeah. or your business vehicles that you actually mm-hmm. own. So you choose the vehicle that you operate and you choose the fuel type that goes into that so it's those sort of choices mm. that are made very very directly your scope two is your electricity consumption you know you, you you make a decision to flick on the switch there's some influence that you can have there in terms of you know do you have a renewable supplier right. or not but that's your scope two and then scope three is all of the embedded carbon and everything else pretty much um, and there's certain focus areas on things that you could address first. And those are typically things like travel, mm-hmm. whether it's staff commuting or business travel. Right. You know, you're still having taking a decision as to where your premises are located or how often you want staff traveling into work. So there's things you can influence there. Uh, things like waste, uh, which does have also a carbon mm. footprint in terms of you know the resources that you use and also how you know you're disposing of it in a certain way. Some waste may be going for incineration or energy recovery mm. or might be going to landfill. Other things could be fugitive emissions, which would be things like refrigerants mm. um, and leakage, which is significant. could be if you're in healthcare, anesthetic yes, agents, yeah. so inhalational gases and, and other things. So there's a lot in mm. there that you could account for. If you're a really big organization, you would probably look at things as far as, you know, even your investment right, yes. and yeah, yeah, products yeah. that you might be creating and how they might be used in people's homes, you know, and how, how you can influence that through designing out yes. um, some of the carbon. Okay. Yeah. So that goes into sort of deeper, um, deeper mm. ambition. Yeah. And if you're thinking of net zero, you would really clearly want to define what scope you're looking right. at tackling. Oh, okay. So you could be net zero you could be aiming net zero for scope one or scope one and two and then scope one and okay. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scope one and two at a minimum is what you want to look at addressing mm. scope three uh, for certain things, especially those where you have a more direct influence on, you should be addressing that. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it a little bit like us talking about on an individual level, there's, there's the idea, you know, some people say a, a UK person's carbon footprint is like five because that's looking at, um, you know the emissions of the UK and yeah. dividing it by the total number of people that live here and other people will say it's like 10 because that will look at yeah. our consumption footprint as well so the things that we're yeah. all those emissions that we're exporting happily off to China you know because China are producing all our stuff and that kind of thing. it's a little bit is it a little bit like that yeah okay. yeah exactly cool. 
what kind of businesses I was having a, a nose around your website earlier and I mean there's a massive range of businesses and organizations that you work with and you've got some amazing case studies on there what kinds of businesses do you work with uh, we work with any business that is um, sincere about uh, improving their environmental impact. Mm. So this ranges from very small businesses. We have a couple micro businesses that are, you know, sole traders trying to do their mm. bit. They're calculating the emissions of their home oh, and yeah, any, yeah. any travel that they're doing and just some really lovely things mm. happening at that level. Uh, all the way up to quite large, complicated organizations, multiple sites difficult hierarchical mm. structures and you know we they typically use IIE as a way to engage sites and teams and brands okay, yeah, yeah. within their corporate umbrella and it, it's proving to be quite an effective way at engaging people um, at the ground level. Yeah because sometimes that that can be hard can't it I I did a talk actually I can't remember if it was last week or the week before for a, a corporate responsibility sort of conference and it was around you know how do we how do we get people on get our employees or even senior management on board with this you know as if you're a person with the in charge of the corporate responsibility of the company and you've still got all these amazing ideas and there's just this sort of maybe a bit of apathy amongst the the staff and things but you've found that, that this is a really great tool for getting people engaged yeah because it enables people to have a bit of autonomy in terms of what they're focusing right. on so that's helpful if you're in a corporate structure and there's certain things where you know, it's best to take certain decisions at a site, you know, a brand mm. or regional level because they know the issues that they're facing. They've got unique challenges. They've got a different culture as well. Mm. So it enables them to sort of set some of their own, you know, performance indicators, mm. their own kind of resources and what they can manage and make it so that it's, um also owned by them so those achievements are are embedded mm. properly yeah um yeah so I mean it's just a great way to to get people to feel like they're a part of that journey and to the extent that you know, we have you know one of the recommendations that we're making is that organizations think about embedding sustainability even in job roles mm. so we've done surveys with some of our members on you know, do staff feel like sustainability is part of their job role? Or is it just somebody's job over there to do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is that is that project? So sustainability in some organizations might start out as a project, that green project. Mm, that the green team. That person yeah. in that yeah. department. Yeah, that, that green thing that they're doing, which is a separate yes. thing. But when we think about embedding it in culture change, changing mindsets and enabling people to, um, you know, step into yeah, their power, I think yeah. that's one of your last uh, podcasts. Um, that's the approach to really, you know, take. So if you've got, um, you know, maybe challenges around having that conversation with staff, you can consider adding in mm. sustainability KPI and appraisals where a colleague can say, right, I can self-select how I'm going to make this organization mm. more sustainable, whether it's just fine, I'll put the right thing. Yes. Right yeah, yeah. Right? What's my Which role they need in to this? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, just that that small mm, tiny commitment definitely. you know I won't put the banana peel in the general mm. waste I'll put it in the compost or in the food yeah. waste you know and it's trying to to sort of shift that that mindset almost isn't it and as you say kind of embed it in the the ethos of the firm and this uh, um interviewed Paul Turner who's got a project called the Ministry for Eco-Education and they've got a whole education curriculum that you know you can pick up and it embeds sustainability across the curriculum in primary schools and it's kind of it's that kind of thing, isn't it? I think one of the frustrations I sometimes feel is that, you know, there will be a green team either at a school or at a um, at an organisation and, and the rest of the people choose not to engage in that and kind of it's it's a bit of a them and us thing, isn't it? Whereas it needs to be, this yeah. is all of us working together for this, towards this goal. Right. And then it also enables people to go a bit further mm. if they feel like this is the conversation that's happening at, you know, the organizational appraisal level, maybe I actually am in a role mm. where I can influence the things that we're buying yes. as a company or the types of events that we run or the policies that we create. Maybe that is actually something that, you know, I maybe need to learn a bit more and then I can make a commitment at having some real influence. Yeah, definitely. I was um, on a webinar the other day with, um, I don't know if you come across the Carbon Literacy Project, and they were saying this kind of um, ripple effect almost in that um, somebody from an organisation came onto one of their courses and then I think they might have been working for a local council or something and they decided that as part of their 
um, sort of uh, tendering process for grants or whatever, they would write in there that, you know, companies would then have to undertake to give their employees carbon literacy training, you know, and, and that has sort of, and then one of the companies happened to be Autotrader or something. And now Autotrader have developed this whole toolkit for the whole uh, automotive industry. And, you know, it's just sort of like we underestimate, don't we, the sort of power we might yeah. have even within a big organization that these simple changes we make can have these massive um, ripple effects. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think also it gives a way of kind of almost measuring progress, doesn't it? I think one of the frustrations, certainly I feel on a sort of individual level and with my audiences, it's very difficult to see an impact of climate action a lot of the time. You know, plastics and recycling, great, but actual, you know, reducing your carbon footprint, you don't really see it. Whereas this gives people measurable ways of, of quantifying what they're doing, which is, can, must be really helpful, again, in terms of engagement and feedback and that kind of thing. Yeah, and benchmarking. Mm. And, okay, we've done this. What do we do next? We're really good about this thing that we've achieved. And now we're ready for the next step. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And on your case studies, I mean, you've got like the solicitors on there. There's um, there are some local authorities, I think, aren't there? There's some um, sort of higher education colleges and things. A disproportionate number of vets, which is how I how I came um, sort of into contact with you, isn't it? Because I used to be a vet and you're doing a huge amount to help the sort of veterinary profession. But yeah, that feels really nice that like certainly from my perspective that, you know, there's almost this little niche of veterinary practices in there, aren't there, that are, are doing a load of things. That's well, I mean, an amazing example of culture change and creating communities mm. that then, you know, they generate uh, a buzz and, and additional learning and friendly competition mm. and developing new best practice. I mean, it's just if we could see what's happened in the veterinary mm. sector across so many other sectors. I mean, wow. I mean, because you've, you've not only got individual veterinary practices in there, there's um, like the governing bodies of the profession I noticed as well there's like the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons on there there's the British Veterinary Association the British Equine Veterinary Association and I think wow like yeah. that's that's huge and if those guys are talking about this as well that's how it then spreads further within a within a profession doesn't it so as you say yeah it's, it takes a few people to mm. stand up more people join in and then you have a movement yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay so I'm a small business owner and I'm sat there and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking that sounds great you know, but uh, we've had the most horrendous 18 months or two years uh, with COVID and Brexit and all those kinds of things. I really want to do the right thing, but I am feeling quite overwhelmed. I don't even know where I would start. Can you give us some starters for 10? Yeah, um, look around you. Look around you with the lens of, you know, eco-friendliness. You know, what do you see around you? Is there full bins? What's in the mm -hmm. bin? Are lights on everywhere? Mm -hmm. Uh, what kind of things are you noticing that you use that you're maybe a little bit unsure about? Think about what's around you and start having some conversations. Talk to people about what they think. Mm -hmm. you know, what uh, what do they think you could do better? Right. What's their interest? Maybe they're not interested. That's a good, useful thing to understand from the beginning um, because then you can identify some of the easy things, easy wins. So what are some of those easy wins? So some of those easy wins are typically like those obvious environmental problems, like lots of single-use plastic mm -hmm. lying around. The waste tends to be um, not always the thing that will have the biggest impact for you, but it could be the, the thing that starts to get more involved. It's a really great starting point, isn't it? It's really visible and we're all really aware of plastic pollution and things. So it's possibly something that's easier to get people on board with as a starting point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were, um, you know, companies that have, for example, disposable cups mm. um in their meeting rooms and things get rid of it and but be prepared uh to replace it with something mm -hmm. else and talk to people throughout so that they feel like they're not losing mm. something that they're you know gaining uh something a more environmentally friendly organization and they're doing their bit you know on the small thing I mean just that thing with the cups though it sounds so simple doesn't it? you think well we just won't have disposable cups anymore there is always an argument about who washes up the blooming coffee cups, isn't there? Like, so, you know, suddenly if you've got reusable ones, it becomes somebody's responsibility or somebody <laughs> ends up being the one who washes it up. Like, has, has anyone come up with really, really nice kind of innovative workarounds for that? Because then it's like, oh, God, we suddenly we've got to buy a dishwasher or something, do you know? And it's like, oh, God, we just wanted to get rid of plastic cups. <laughs> Yeah, um, I haven't heard that being a particular problem for the wash from washing up. <laughs> it was always the argument when I was in practice. <laughs> it's it's more around you know if it's in like um, a business's foyer or waiting mm. area, they think well 
what are people going to, you know, they're going to want, they're not going to want us to have a cup, right. you know, but in practice, it's, it's gone over well, especially if it goes alongside decent communication mm. about it. Other sort of quick wins, you know, having, have a lunch and learn, uh, you know, where you talk about a particular topic, mm. like if there's been, you know, a new David Attenborough program that comes out, like, did people see that? Mm. What did you think about this? Or the BBC's, you know, war on mm. waste or war on plastic campaign show little clips or short video clips that have a few good ones you know I can oh brilliant if you can send me them and I'll pop the link yeah yeah yeah, a few really good ones actually that just sort of get people talking Mm. about it and that's so important talking about it I I I keep saying this it feels like on every single podcast at the moment and it's it's becoming a real the more I sort of learn the more I realize the importance of this of having these just everyday conversations actually being the one who says oh my god did you watch war on waste last night or did you you know in the same way that we'd watch did you watch did you watch bake off last night it would be did god did you see that or did you see you know there wasn't a huge amount of programming around cop wasn't there on mainstream telly and and sort of using that as your your springboard or your opportunity to say oh did you see that it actually made me feel really sad or really anxious or you know um and and leading with those sort of feelings and things I think can really help as well but it's so important that we talk about this with our colleagues and and with our friends and our family to and I know it can feel really awkward but there are lots of opportunities for getting that in there aren't there and it just makes it more of the consciousness the mainstream consciousness and it gives people other people permission to then say yeah actually I am a bit worried but I don't know what to do about it so I've just been kind of ignoring it you know and that's so powerful isn't it Yeah, yeah 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 absolutely you know, top tip stuff is the conversations, mm. the things that are around you, like the tactile things, mm. uh, waste, paper, you know, switching lights off. And then there's some things that are also still a little bit easy, but just require a little mm. bit more process. You know, things like your uh, energy tariff, you know, switching to green energy. So at the moment with the, um, you know, the, the gas price crisis and that kind of thing, yeah. Um, you know, my number one tip always for households has been, oh, switch to a green energy supplier. And now that's that's much yeah. more difficult. And I think, you know, financially, the advice at the moment is to to sit tight for households. But I was interviewing yeah. um, John from Big Clean Switch, and he said that actually for businesses, it's it's slightly different and it, it is still worth looking at. Is that sort of your experience yeah, at yeah. the moment? Well, businesses have longer contracts oh, okay. than, you know, and domestically, you can generally switch mm. relatively quickly. You might pay a, an exit fee it's a nominal but businesses because they have maybe a two or three year contract you know be aware of when that contract is mm. going to change plan for it plan for what you're going to do next oh, okay because renewable energy as an organization and and um organizations like ecotricity and good energy they have business tariffs don't they so you can you know you can yeah. go with them but get a specific business tariff so it's not necessarily as onerous as we might think or worry about is that is that something you've found that businesses yeah there's good and we actually we're partners with ecotricity we have um we have a a discount Mm. code so if if somebody's interested just get in touch but for any IIE member can then pass on a savings and and does it like traditionally we've always there's always been this idea that it costs more to to have renewable energies and you know some households um prior to all the kerfuffle and lots of businesses going under it wasn't necessarily the case but you know I don't know what the market's looking like at the moment because we have luckily haven't had to look at it with um we haven't been affected but is is it more expensive for businesses to go with a renewable tariff it depends it depends Mm. still um it can be but you can also use it as a great marketing Mm. opportunity to talk about you've switched 100% renewable energy and there's so many organizations that are starting to do Mm. this you know, make the most yes. of it from a marketing perspective. It will get you traffic on your yeah, social yeah, media yeah. channels and get people talking. And it's something that doesn't require lots of research and investment and planning and or planning permission mm, or yes, yes, no yes. installation of tech. You know what I mean? It's it's that sort of lower hanging fruit, but it does require a little bit of consideration and plan. And I think you know we sometimes fall into this, and I guess especially um, as businesses oh, it's, it's got to be cheaper or it's got to not cost us anymore. But actually, there, there is a choice there. You know, if, if you are in a situation with a business where there, there is, and there probably will be, you know, we're not talking tens of thousands of pounds, I wouldn't think, are we? It's, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be a massive amount more. Am I, or am I making this up? 
but you know I'm just thinking that there's a there's a choice to be made you know do actually if we are saying that this is important to us as a business this is something we're prepared to take a little bit of a financial hit on if if we're in the position to do that yeah absolutely and and there will be some things that takes considered you know decision making Mm. to do but also being aware of whole life costs risk Mm. and opportunities for business for not doing the more sustainable Mm. thing you know what is the impact going to have you know if you want to think selfishly just about your organization itself you know how might that be perceived by others or you know if you're risk averse but I like to encourage people to look at look at the opportunity within it yeah 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 it's a real opportunity to demonstrate yes, very that visibly your yeah that you're 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 kind of walking the walk and you're prepared to put your money where your mouth is almost isn't it it's it's that kind and, of thing. and it sets you apart and the the cheapest thing isn't always going to be the cheapest thing in the yes. long run for you either so if, if your procurement practices just default to cheapest thing on the list it could be you know you're purchasing things that you have to replace yeah again, yeah yeah and it's going to cost you over time and then you have to dispose of it or you mm. might have to repair it or it's a headache for somebody to have to deal with it yeah um so think about that in a more holistic way and do you guys do anything we've talked a little bit on this podcast before about pensions and things and obviously small businesses is it over five employees you have to provide a, a pension for your staff I can't remember what the regulations are but lots of pensions are still invested in fossil fuels and things like that. And actually as an organization, um, I'm sure it's a massive headache for whoever's in charge of doing it, but moving pension pots. And I think actually um, that I see last week uh, talking about vets and things, the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons have divested their pension pot. So, you know, that's something that we might not think about necessarily, but actually it's a really big impact thing that, that an organization can do, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It isn't a big one, and it's part of that that scope three. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. You might not have, you know, you might not be accounting for it in your direct mm. carbon footprint, but it's it, it's a it's a big statement, and again, a massive PR um, piece and a real like it's a statement to make to your employees. This is how serious we we are about this, and you know, we've done the due diligence, and we know you're not going to miss out financially on it and all that kind of thing. But yeah. this is what we've decided to do with with your pension money. Right. And there's, you know, some, some of our members right now, they're really looking at this and they're thinking, you know, this is something that we want to tackle mm. as an organization because you know, there are millions invested yeah, in billions and billions, aren't there? Yeah. And yeah, just even at the organizational level, like that impact mm. is a real for change that can influence markets, yeah. you know, it can influence behaviors and culture in a very uh, hard to see way initially but um over time it's it's helping con- to contribute to the changes that we need to yeah going back to when I was talking to um this law firm about changes that they'd made um in to sort of be more sustainable I think they were talking about um they changed all the printers to um and I hadn't heard of this print on demand so you literally have to be stood at the printer in order for something to be printed and I can't yeah. remember what they said it saved them in paper but it was ridiculous and so they actually got the reams of paper and stacked them up as a visual to show staff like how much paper this had had saved them. And I think those kinds of things can be really impactful as well, can't they? Because I think everyone thinks, yeah. oh, it's just one coffee cup. But actually, if you worked out how many employees you got and averaged out the number of coffees and then stacked up those coffee cups, you suddenly realise just one office, the kind of impact that that's having, don't you? If you any of your case studies done any great sort of visual stunts like that? off the top of my head in terms of visuals um I can't think of any but I know one of our our winners in the IA awards at the University of Northampton they did a lot of awareness around the coffee cups mm. and the amount um last year one of our NHS members they did a big before COVID a big waste awareness around catering and coffee cups mm. and single use um cutlery and all of that and you know it saved them so much really? on their procurement cost you know it, completely eliminated Mm. a quarter of a million cups uh I mean just unnecessary and then that was all waste that someone was going to have to deal with in the NHS we're going to have to pay for that to be disposed of yeah you know it's an unnecessary cost Mm. and it didn't influence you know the the quality of of somebody's day Mm. yes it improved it if, if anything you know by using you know reusable crockery yeah 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 yeah. it's much nicer than a nicer experience But yeah, it's those sorts of things that, uh, yeah, and the, the paper point around solicitors, you know, they have to use mm. for sometimes 
for legal reasons, they actually have to do lots of things, mm. but there are opportunities to really reduce. Um, have a great case study on there for one of our, our members, Roy Thorns, that they went through and actually scrutinized each department. What were the needs for printing? They talked to different department heads and they saw well, which doors are open that we mm. can walk through, which ones kind of need a little bit of process introduced and which ones aren't mm. able to change. And then they were able to really make some huge differences in reducing the amount of paper that they had to handle, but they also have to dispose of confidential yes, waste. Yes. And, you know, there's there's other things that go into it that is a waste of time, energy, resources, all of that. And it was funny, I was talking to a, a friend um, at the weekend who's a solicitor, and he was saying their printing budget from COVID and people working from home has absolutely gone through the floor. So, you know, all, all yeah. this printing was just being done out of convenience or habit. And actually, because being forced to work from home, so much more is now being done electronically. And suddenly they're like, oh, right. we don't need to be printing all this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's enabled people to change mm. in interesting ways. You know, there were businesses I'd talked to before COVID that were absolutely certain they couldn't possibly deliver a good service to their clients if a meeting was virtual. Yes. You know, uh, their client, they believed, was expecting a certain, mm. you know, want to see their face. And that's what we're going to do. But COVID enabled different and new ways of working and uh, helped people to kind of unpack some of the myths yes. and see what was really effective and what they needed to keep and what they needed to get mm, rid of. Yeah. And now, you know, hopefully as the situation continues to improve, we're sort of, I think lots of organisations are finding this sort of halfway, you know, hybrid models working and all those kinds of things, aren't they? So talking about, you know, business footprints and things so we don't need to know that if we're going to make a start there's lots of low-hanging fruit and things that we can do but it helps in terms of measuring progress and setting goals and that kind of thing so I know I as an individual I can go on World Wildlife Fund I can go on Geeky there's various different carbon footprinting online tools I can access really easily and I can spend half an hour whacking that in oh I don't know what to do as a business like where do I go what do I do uh, I mean, look at your bills. Uh, bills is a really good first protocol. What's your annual bill, you know, for your energy mm-hmm. usage from last year? Look at some other things that are important to you as a business to produce. You know, if it's paper, how many reams right. of paper yeah, did yeah, you yeah. buy last year? How many pages did you print? What are your mileage mm. claims on, on, you know, like for the last year? Form a baseline. Mm. And, and those metrics are, are readily available. And certainly we can help. Oh, so if, if I know I use X number of units of electricity, there's somewhere I can go and I can plug that in and it will tell me what the carbon footprint of that has been. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those are all, the metrics are available through the UK government website. Oh, yeah. um, sometimes it does require a little bit of what do you need to consider, but ultimately it isn't rocket science. Yeah. You want to just get started yeah. and you want to just see sort of what's my electricity carbon footprint, what's mm. my heating, what's for my, my mileage. If you're only starting there, that's a good start. Um, and then you can widen out what you include in future once you kind of understand where you are and sometimes it's what the gaps are right you've got lots of information missing and you really don't Mm. know yeah um but finding out what you need and you know starting to measure it will help you manage it better so where would we find that on the is it on gov.uk or um is there a yeah it's the metrics are there it's not user-friendly it's not like entering in your uh, information in in your you know energy provider sometimes your energy provider will provide you yeah we've got our own calculator but we we coach people how to use it Uh, there are a few others you can probably google yeah i was um chatting to matt and fran um about gps and being a bit greener last week and uh, matt's created a free carbon footprinting tool for gp practices i think and i know that the veterinary profession are working on one for vet practices so it, it might i mean wouldn't it be amazing for every sector to have their own free carbon footprinting tool that people could just you know organizations could come and, and kind of whack in yeah and most of them will be having the same like for your buildings yes. and your travel and all of that it's going to be the same figures there will be some sector specific mm. things that require maybe a little bit more nuance but for those basic things if that's where you want to start or if that's what you can start mm. with do that um and then you know get in touch with us we can help you signpost you to, to what you need or you know, of course become a member and, and we can help support you that way so how does that work if someone's listening to this and they think brilliant investors in the environment sounds wonderful and it will be the the hand holding and the framework which i think you know you mentioned is it, it feels really important just giving people that guidance that structure all that kind of thing and um, what are the the sort of different levels and what are the costs involved so we've got bronze silver and green levels bronze is typically a we're most start mm. out 
um, understand their baseline, you know, putting together policies, seeing their position environmentally, what they want to do, start to set some objectives mm-hmm. and communicate. Silver is where we start seeing some progress on some of the resources that they measure, your carbon footprint, mm. the paper you use, the waste you produce, the energy you consume. So a 2% improvement is what we're looking at at the minimum. Oh, wow. That feels doable. It's achievable. Yeah. It's achievable. And um, especially when you've not looked at yes. uh, resource efficiency before, you, you'll find the wins are the first couple of yeah. years, easy wins. And then green level is a minimum of 2% more, um, 2% or more. Mm-hmm. So if you're an organization thinking about net zero, mm. it would be a little bit different. could be between 25 to 7% a year that you need to be making investments on. Um, but then it's really looking at the action plans and how you're involving people, how you're looking at, uh, again, widening out that structure and that framework, including, you know, at least six different resources that you can right. measure looking at influence. If you're a small organization with little impact, but you're influential, mm. how can you see how effective yeah, your influence is? Yeah, yeah. Kind of looking critically at um, how you can determine that yeah. for impact. So in terms of costs, it's it's on a, we're actually in the middle of uh, relaunching our pricing structure, but it generally it's, you can start out as little as um, about 349 pounds and then it goes up from there. Um, is that for the year? Organization level for a yeah. year. So it is annual, mm-hmm. uh, but they get, you know, working towards accreditation mm. logos, producing marketing, um, lots of different templates, support, oh, amazing, yeah. access to training and the accreditation assessment itself. Uh, in the marketing. Oh, okay. So that includes the, the, is it a bit like the sort of eco schools criteria where that, you know, there's a set of stuff you have to work through and then you get to that point and then somebody comes out and has a little look around and make sure that you've done what you said you've done, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. And depending on which level, so green level, we typically reserve actual site audits mm. um, for that accreditation level or on a case by case basis with COVID. Yes. Um, bet, we've yeah develop different remote auditing techniques that we can do depending on the impact mm. of your organization so manufacturers you know those with higher impact would need more mm. of a site visit than you know a sole trader working out of their home yes yeah 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 so um it's it's appropriate um to the kind of organization that you are um and the assessment is fully transparent in terms of the accreditation criteria mm. how you're scored why you're given that score and what you need to do next yeah. to improve and how like sort of paperwork heavy is it, you know, if we're a small organization and we're thinking, right, I want to get started, is this going to have to be somebody's job? Like, or can, you know, would it be a couple of hours a week? Like how, I guess it's a how long is a piece of string question, but you know, if we're thinking about apportioning it to, um, you know, incorporating it in someone's role or whatever, how easy is that to do? Easy if you're very small, like a micro yes. business. But again, there are some kind of core things that need to be looked mm. at things that we can also audit and assess because it's not just a conversation we say yeah I've done mm, that I've done that mm, but there has to be something that we can look sure. at in terms of evidence and then as you go up depending on the sector and depending on the environmental impacts that mm. you have it can get a little bit more complicated but you know having at least one having at least one green champion is, is mm, essential mm. you have somebody that's kind of committed to you know leading leading mm. the way having a green group is kind of an amazing next step, even in you know small organizations yeah, yeah. Um, with kind of clear roles. What are you yes. doing? Is it just about communicating, or is it taking a meter reading, or is it about putting this poster yes. up, or having a chat with me mm. or one of my colleagues? You know, what do we do, need to do next? When are we going to go through the assessment yes. and, and the interview? Um, and then, kind of going up from there, it's, it gets slightly more complicated. Large organizations clearly need to have a lot more process. Mm documentation things that we can follow if there's multi-site um, operations then how does that policy cascade out into meaningful action mm. across across the group and I guess it's really important as well for an organization to to free up time for you know green team or green champion or whoever to be able to do this so it's not just we're not just relying on people's goodwill and overtime and cramming this stuff into their lunch hour and that kind of thing that actually you know you can whether you can block out you know, a, 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 slot, a session a month for the green team to get together or, you know, once one afternoon a week for the green champion or whatever, so that, you know, I think one of the 
frustration sometimes is this is seen as a a nice to have and now oh, you're really passionate about it so you can just get on and do that but I'm not going to make any time for you to do that you've got to ram it in on top of everything else you're right. already doing so um you know if you haven't got somebody at senior leadership who's who's wanting to take kind of ownership and run with it then I guess the least they can do is facilitate and and enable other people to be doing it by freeing up some time and resources for them yeah so in terms of time it you know especially when you're first getting started mm. and having a good few hours a month to really sit down think about what you're doing and, and that's where it helps you know to have IE membership because then there's a focus right. yeah 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 you, there's sort of milestones that you work towards and they kind of give you okay we've done this brilliant do these mm. next three do this next half of a thing because you're so busy yes. but just do that little thing and then we'll talk again but that's really useful um and having that encouragement as mm. well um externally uh, validation as well that it's common to sort of struggle when you're just mm. getting started um if you feel like you're not necessarily you know you've not been trained as mm. a sustainability yeah, yeah, yeah. expert mm. you know but I always say this is not rocket science yes. it can't be yes yeah 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 it can't be rocket science so um it's something that everybody can do the bigger the organization the more sophisticated mm. it will get mm. but that shouldn't be a barrier for anybody. That's exactly the same with accounts or health and safety or anything like that, isn't it? The the, the kind of bigger you get, the more, the more complicated it gets. And I think having, um, you know, is being part of something like IIE and, and kind of being able to say to people, well, this is the next step in the process might make you feel a bit more like able to say that rather than, Oh, this is my crazy idea. And I'm constantly chiving you along. It's like, no, this is, this is the process we've all agreed to go through. And this is the next step that they're telling me that we need to do this rather than it, you know, being you kind of cracking the whip or whatever that I think that must be helpful. Yeah, that is, that is really helpful for some. And it's helpful even having an environmental policy mm. where the organization has made this commitment. Yeah. You think, okay, if, if your company has said, this is your policy, mm. you should not feel uncomfortable, um, you know, on delivering elements of that policy. Mm. So that that's where you you're backed up within the organization of course without from from us through through the accreditation and being you know a business that's aligned with others mm. that are all working towards you know creating more sustainable future mm. so i guess finally any top tips for um someone who's listening who uh, might be an employee in an organization and thinking this would be amazing for my business to do how do i get them on board with it because sometimes, you know, if, if you're an employee, you might not feel that you have any power or do you know that, that you can sort of um, facilitate that or encourage that? How, how can we encourage senior leadership or the CSR team or whoever to, to get on board with this? Hmm. I mean, again, it's there's not one. Yeah, sure. That you would sort of tell it. But what is important to you as an organization? What is important to the person that's ultimately going to agree to move this forward? Is it they're trying to reduce costs? Is it they're trying to gain a market Mm. edge? Is it that they want to be more resilient or they want to be seen or positioned, have the organization positioned as a forward-thinking, purpose-driven, environmentally friendly organization? Those are all very different conversations Mm. that Mm. you would have. You know, you can have a look at our website, look at some of the case studies mm. and what others are doing, some of the challenges that they might have faced, how they addressed it. You know, that's, you know, proven, um, proven routes to engagement and, and progress. It's, it's not always easy if you feel like also uncomfortable mm. being the messenger yes, on anything yeah, environmental, yeah, yeah. which is also yeah. common. But, you know, just have a look at other organizations that are really standing mm. up and think, you know, shouldn't we be a leader rather than a lagger? And I think, yeah, if, uh, you know, having a look at, like you said, at the case studies and at the other members on your website. So if you are in a legal practice or you are in a veterinary practice, or you are, I think you had opticians and all sorts on there, you can actually say, look, these guys are, these guys are doing it. And as you say, do we want to, surely we want to be at the forefront of this and, and getting ahead of this rather than be the ones kind of chasing, chasing behind. But do you know that has anyone ever been brave enough to do anything like, put together a little you know presentation to go and present to senior management or anything like that and I you know could you use COP as your uh, air quotes excuse that you know oh gosh all this stuff about COP and and so I've been looking into things we might be able to do as a business have you got half an hour to 
like is anyone I don't know if I'd be brave enough to do that yeah I'm, I'm sure they have I wouldn't have I don't typically get to see mm. those conversations being happen uh, happening um I typically am the one talking yes. to the people and you know listening to what they need and, and telling them how it would work but for others yeah you know if you've got a passion or you've got a concern or you've got a pathway mm. you know, show them the way make it easy yes. for them that there are solutions yes. there and it's achievable mm. this has been fabulous anything we've missed out or I should have asked you um well, how long can you use string we <laughs> could talk for hours couldn't but, I? <laughs> yeah. yeah I think I think the the gist is that anybody can get started mm. um do something figure out you know what what are your goals yes. what do you like to do even if you don't know what your goals mm. are you think I just want to be a bit greener a bit better so what does that look like for us yeah 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 what what might that look like start to think about that start to look around mm. you again uh, what do you see that you suspect might be uh something to improve upon yeah. even if you don't know a yeah. lot have a look at what others are doing again look at the case studies you know we've got some case studies on there of people that haven't even been accredited yet you know what have they mm. done just getting started oh, how did they find that what was what was difficult or, or drop us an email, you know, info at iie.uk.com and um, one of us can certainly share with you. Amazing. And did I see a thing on, on the website as well about sort of almost networking so that the, all these organisations that, that are, are signed up with you, you have that like, oh, has anyone tried doing this? And how did that go down? Is there a sort of facility for doing that? Yeah. So we've got, um, we're about to re-release our event schedule for oh, 2022, amazing. but We've done, um, and we're planning to do again, like Q&A sessions mm. with our members. So those that have done interesting yeah, things can give a short talk. And then we allow people to attend, sort of hear mm. a bit more. Mm. What was the challenge? How did they overcome it? Share their stories and network in that way. Been doing that mostly virtually yes. over the last year. Determining how we do that yes. kind of going yeah, forward yeah, yeah. Uh, as things are still changing. But yeah, just, just giving voice to those mm. stories, those really interesting stories those are the things that help really change people and uh, influence them to, to do better and to see that it's possible. it's possible. I know. I think that's the thing, isn't it? We see so many barriers and so many reasons why we can't. And then actually to see someone who's done it, that I think that's so empowering and so um, important, isn't it? And we do have some amazing, amazing uh, people that have been just, we never cease to be impressed mm. by you know, the most humble, um, you know, employee at any given business thinks, oh, I don't know what I've done. And they whip out this story about how they, through a policy, they completely eliminated mm. some waste stream that was costing the business yeah. £50,000 a year. Mm. And it was something they were wasting and it wasn't necessary. And that was one from last week. But yeah, it just, it, it's just fantastic. Fantastic to see people taking a bit of information and figuring out what they could do in order to influence sustainability in their company. Yeah, and this is such a, an important part of the whole picture in that sometimes as, as individuals or as households, we can be like, oh, you know, what difference can I make? Or actually, you know, we're on a really tight budget, so we can't afford to do this or can't afford to do that. But actually, if we are involved in any level in, in an organisation, that's somewhere we can actually have a real, real impact, um, hopefully. And so sometimes being being brave and stepping up and and trying to sort of make our voices heard can be really incredibly powerful as you say and some some organizations have been completely some professions even I'm thinking about you know I know the vets and all the amazing work that wonderful lady called Ellie West has done hasn't she at um what one of the practices and that seems to have been certainly from my perspective the catalyst that sort of ripples through the whole profession and she's just one person and she's a busy knackered mum like me and you know and you think oh wow that's phenomenal yeah yeah oh brilliant thank you so much april um you know and thank you for the service that you provide and um i will put all the links um so people can come and find you on the website if people are uh, keen to come and check it out and um, see if they can get involved thanks jen You've been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, 
do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.